You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt grew up in a politically active family. His mother ran for Congress on an anti-Vietnam War ticket. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, he talks about exploring the politics of his parents' generation in his new movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Joseph. Hey, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Um, what do people call you? What do you like to be called? Oh, I'm not too picky. So, so people call me Joe or Joseph, Joey, Giuseppe, Jose, all, all of the above. I'm, I'm easy. Right, and what do mom and dad call you? Kind of, well, they, they don't usually call me Jose. That was my roommate, <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> they fluctuate. They'll sometimes, I guess most often they say Joe, but they'll still, you know, call me Joseph now and then. You know, Joey is more like the people that have known me since I was a teenager. Right, right. Did you ever go through one of those phases where you like definitively told people don't call me Joey anymore, like I'm Joseph or I'm Joe or whatever? I I mean, it was, I remember when I started using Joe, uh, it had to do with my first girlfriend calling me Joe, but uh, <laughs> okay. I was never resentful towards anyone still calling me Joey. I think I, I, I feel like, I feel uh, warm feelings towards that that name. And how did you end up with the three names? Because I, I was talking to Andrew Ross Sorkin, who's another, I don't know if you know him, but the uh, CNBC anchor and the uh, New York Times writer uh, who did billions and uh, and did a bunch of those kind of things. And he's kind of a three-name person or Hillary Rodham Clinton or others. Like, how did you decide to do uh, the three names? It was not my decision. That was what my parents named me with the hyphen, the, you know, them being, my, my parents are pretty, uh, progressive and um you know my mom was active in the women's movement in the 60s and 70s and you know i think just the question being why should a woman give up her name and the man not give up his and why should a why should a child only be named after the man and not the woman so my brother and i were both named with the last name hyphenated my mom's name is jane gordon and my dad's name is dennis levitt so we we got the hyphenated last name gordon levitt and I saw that your mom ran for Congress at one point. Is that right? Yeah. Speaking of speaking of being progressive, yeah, she it was um, 
a small party that still exists actually, it was new back then, uh, called the Peace and Freedom Party, and their main platform was trying to end the Vietnam War, um, which is obviously pertinent to this movie that's that's coming out, um, Trial Chicago 7, but uh, but yeah, so they, they were they were quite progressive. She, she ran for Congress with the Peace and Freedom Party. My dad was an investigative journalist. Uh, they actually met working at a, a a pretty progressive public radio station in Los Angeles called KPFK, um, which is still going strong. And um, yeah, it's in my it's in my blood, I guess. The 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 left, the left is in my blood. I love that. Have you ever? Did you ever seriously think about uh, politics yourself as kind of a you know running for office or doing something like that? So I haven't really ever thought about it seriously. Um, because I really like privacy and it seems that part of politics is, you know, opening up your house and your family and your kids and everything to the public conversation, which makes me uncomfortable personally, um, amongst other reasons. But, uh, so no, I, I mean, I, I've always been really interested in what's going on in the country and in the world and in what the government is doing. Like I said, my, my parents sort of brought us up that way, but, I I've never really thought that actually running for office was something I would do. And how did the acting start? Like I hear your grandfather was in it, and I. I but was this was this was this you who who was the one who had the love for it, or was it just being in Los Angeles as a kid and it was kind of in the water and maybe friends? Or how did you how did you jump into it? It was kind of all of the above. Uh, I think being in Los Angeles was a big part of why. I, it ended up being a professional thing. When I was a kid, I just loved it. You know, I, I would play pretend and, you know, I was doing community theater and little plays and in a choir and taking piano lessons. And that was just, you know, I loved doing those things when I was a kid. And my parents were always really supportive and really into finding the things that I like to do and encouraging me to do them more. And, um, and then, yeah, just, I think by virtue of growing up in LA, uh, you know, when I was in community theater, one of the kids that was also in the community theater was going on auditions for commercials and stuff. And their their manager asked my mom if I would want to do it. And I remember the conversation actually, it was in the kitchen. And I remember her kind of kneeling down and, you know, coming down onto my level and, and talking to me about it and saying like, you know how um, you see some kids sometimes on TV and stuff um, would you want to try out to do that sometimes? And I was really like, yeah, yeah, I would love to do that. And and it was always something really fun for me. And, and the other important thing to say is my parents never, never pressured me to do it. As encouraging as they was, as encouraging as they were, they they were always saying like, if you ever want to stop doing this, you can just stop. You don't have to do this. You know, we'll support you to do it as long as you're having fun doing it. Um, but you don't have to. And uh, that's that's I, I consider that really lucky. You know, a, a lot of kids are, are in a, a, a tough position of, of, of actually like financially supporting their family. And I was also lucky to not be in that position. And, uh, you, you know, so I do think there's a lot of luck involved and. I feel like that's important to acknowledge because as much as, you know, I, I, you know, I worked hard and I, I feel like to some degree or another, maybe I deserve whatever success I had in another way, a lot of people work hard and don't end up with the outcomes that I got. And, and I think it's, I don't know, 
the, the, the more I've grown up and the more I've looked back on it in hindsight, I've thought like luck played a big, big part in this. I'm really lucky and it's important to be grateful for, for that luck. You know, it's interesting. I hear very few people mention that, but I remember hearing Bill Gates talk about that. And I was surprised to hear him talk about the role of luck. And he was the first person who was really successful that I ever heard really kind of lean into it and kind of have that conversation around luck, which I actually think is a powerful conversation to think about. For you, what are, as you get a chance to like rewind the story, I'm thinking of 500 days of summer. Um, as you get a chance to like rewind and look back at the story. By the way, I tip my cap to you. That's one of your many that, that I've loved you in. Um, Thank you. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always been a big fan. That was, that was one of the many. But, uh, but, but when you look back at the story, where were some of those luck moments that if you were doing kind of a case study on, on your career, you'd be like, that was a good moment and that was a good moment. Like, where are some of those? Yeah, well, there's um, Third Rock from the Sun is one of the first things that comes to mind, which is a hugely formative experience for me. I started that show when I was 13. It finished when I was 19. And I happened to get picked to be on this show with incredibly kind, healthy, smart, generous people. And there are a lot of TV shows out there today and throughout the history of television that probably wouldn't have been such healthy environments to grow up on and have your adolescence on. But, you know, John Lithgow, who was the star of that show, as well as a lot of the writers, producers, directors, and the other cast members, you know, Jane and Kristen and French and everybody, they really looked out for me and they were really intent upon, you know, the kid of the set not getting maladjusted and, and, <laughs> and you know, they really mentorly familial role in, in my life. And I'm hugely grateful. You know, when I think of all that I learned from John, uh, I just caught up with him actually. It was, it was really, really wonderful. We made a video and he's doing a project. He actually just put out a book and we're doing a project promoting his book uh, called Trumpy Dumpty Wanted the Crown. But uh, John just, taught me so, so much about what it is to be an actor and an artist and a professional and a responsible human being and a kind human being and a leader. And um, I, that was lucky that I ended up getting that part instead of a part on some other show with a less kind or, 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 or you know, well-adjusted leader as, as John Lithgow. That is so interesting. You're reminding me of a conversation I had with Gabrielle Union, the actress, who said the biggest thing she learned being with her husband, Dwayne Wade, is that you could be as good as players you want, but if you end up on the wrong team in the wrong system, you know, your talent could be totally dissipated or at least meaningfully dissipated. And so for her, it was a real eye opener to realize that while Dwayne had been as successful as he had, that some of it is what you would call luck, meaning good thing he ended up with a coach like Pat Riley in Miami at the time he did different outcomes than if, like some of his peers, he'd been drafted into a more dysfunctional team or with a different leader. So it's interesting to hear you hear you identify that and talk about that too. I think it's important because in our culture today, I feel like there's a lot of self-congratulation. And that's cool, like it's, it's good to celebrate one's victories, but 
We're all on this planet together. Nobody's accomplishing anything all by themselves. It just, that's not realistic. And it, it I think understanding that cascades to all sorts of things about how you see yourself, how you see society and how you see your relationship to society, what you owe society, what society owes you. There's a lot of entitlement nowadays. I feel like people feeling like, hey, well, I don't, I don't need to pay taxes or something because, you know, I earned all my money. Yeah, okay, but you earned all your money based on an infrastructure of this country that was built by everyone in this country for generations and generations and generations. No one does it all by themselves. If you, uh, you know, if you're driving to work, you're driving to work on roads that were built by somebody. If you have a car, that's because somebody else made your car. If you, uh, you know, if you went to school, that's because there are schools. You didn't make that school, you know? So like you're, everyone's, everyone's success is reliant on many, 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 many people. And no one accomplishes anything alone. Do, do you feel like you have changed a lot over the last year? I know a lot of people who between COVID and being at home and, you know, uh, all the other things, the Black Lives Matter conversations, uh, lots of other things going on, really feel like there's been some fundamental change and not always political change, sometimes just personal change. Do you feel like like you have, have changed a lot over the last year or while it has been a unusual time, you still in many ways are the person I would have met a year ago, five years ago? I, I always think about that. And it, <laughs> I always feel like there's both because in a way I feel like I'm still the same person I was when I was 12, you know. And then in a lot of ways, I'm completely different than I was when I was 12. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, this year has been so extraordinary. And I think I'm I'm only beginning to understand the ways that it has impacted me. Uh, I think probably it's, I, I think we're, we've all together undergone and are continuing to undergo some real trauma. I hate to be melodramatic about it, but I, I think we're probably all, suffering some PTSD or you can take off the P because it's not post-traumatic yet. We're still, we're still being traumatized <laughs> by the pandemic. And I, I think I, I've definitely been affected by, I think my kids, I have a three and a five-year-old. I think they're definitely, definitely impacted by it. And, you know, that makes me sad to be honest. And we do our very, very best to try to keep it positive and find the silver linings. But this it's, it's, not great to have your kids like not be able to go out and spend time with other people and etc. I mean, I, I'm not saying anything that's not obvious, but yeah, I mean, I, so I, I think we all are. And my main focus throughout this whole lockdown has been, has been gratitude. Um, and, you know, that's not entirely new. I, I, I've, I've tried to focus myself on being thankful for, you know, all the luck that I have and, and all the good things in my life for years. I've, I've really focused on that. I think that's something my parents taught me, but um, living in quarantine has brought it to the forefront in, for certain because uh, we've been forced to slow down, have, have, you know, our plans that we were in the middle of one thing after another, many of those got disrupted. I was in the middle of, of shooting a show that got put on hold I just found myself at home uh, with my family and, you know, and frankly, in many ways at first, like frustrated that the things I was in the middle of got interrupted, but 
had to quickly come to a place where like, I have nothing to be frustrated about. I have only things to be grateful about. So many people are struggling in serious, serious ways. So many people are, are their health is threatened. So many people are losing their lives or, you know, the lives of loved ones. And I'm able to work from home. Not everybody is able to work from home. I have so much to be lucky uh, to be grateful for. So uh, I think it's probably in a lot of ways emphasized things that, that I kind of knew in the past, but probably maybe I, I wasn't feeling in, in as immediate a way. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Joseph, look forward for me, and none of us know, but you know why not? What do you think you see ahead? What do you what maybe or, or what do you hope as you look out over the next two, three, four, five, ten years? How are you thinking either about your own life or about where we're going as a country? How do you how do you think about that? 
Ooh, man, I fluctuate. <laughs> you know, I have my my optimistic days and my pessimistic days. To be really honest, my nature is optimistic. I I tend to remain pretty optimistic, especially in the long term. Uh, I feel like if you're talking about the next couple of months. I think we're we're in for a, a rough ride. Um, I. Uh, I, I hate to like go on record saying it because I was wrong before, but I, I, I do think Trump's going to lose. I think that's going to be a really good thing for the country, but I also think that it's going to be really divisive. I think he's going to sow as much discord and division as he possibly can. I don't think he's going to make it peaceful and, and a healthy transition. And I think, um, you know, leaving even him aside or even leaving politics aside, there's this cultural divide in our country that makes me really sad that um, we've divided ourselves into these us and them camps. And uh, and I don't think it's, I, I don't want to be both sidesy about it, but I do see folks on the left, which I consider, you know, my tribe or whatever. I see folks on the left being, you know, harboring animosity and being reductive towards people on the right. Uh, as much as I see people on the right harboring animosity and being reductive towards people on the left maybe not as much <laughs> but um but it it is there's this division that's that's really i don't know how we how we get over that because in a way it feels like it goes back a long long time uh you know this movie that i'm coming out in child of chicago 7 it goes back to 1968 for sure but you could also probably take it back all the way to the Civil War, and you could probably take it back further than that. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't know how we get past that. Other than I do oftentimes get encouraged looking at what um, younger people are are up to. Um, I I do believe in in uh, a positive direction for online culture, even though I think we need some big course correction. There are some big problems in the way that online culture works right now. Um, that's something I think about a lot because, uh, you know, I, I started an online community years ago called Hit Record where we make art together online in, in a communal collaborative way. And that's hugely nourishing to me. And, and uh, I, I think that's probably, that's one example of many examples where people are being productive and collaborative online and not just kind of one-upping each other and, and tearing each other down, which happens a lot online, as we all know. Um, and, and when I see stuff like that, when I see especially younger people um, transcending nationalities, ethnicities, cultural tribes, socioeconomic division, people are just dancing together or whether they're, you know, writing together or they're having political discussions together. I do find younger people do give me hope. I, I, feel, I feel old saying that, but I'm, you know, I'm a dad now, I'm 39. And, uh, and I do hope when I look at my kids, I, I do feel optimistic that, that, there's going to be some incredible leaps forward in, in what we're able to do as a human race in in my lifetime. And um, and I do feel like it's it's like it's my kids generation that are going to take those innovations and inventions and um, 
and bring us to to something hope something maybe a little lighter than um than what we're going through the darkness we're going through right now you know i kind of hope the same is funny i was having a conversation yesterday with i don't know if you know the singer uh phineas um who often is a collaborator with his sister billy eilish and he really made me feel deeply um in generation z and their willingness and their confidence in trying things and not always waiting for some expert to greenlight it, but they will upload it to TikTok, or you probably have seen that with Hit Record, where they probably come to online collaboration maybe a little more confidently than many of us would have at their age. And so I think I'm with you in that hope that that they will do it, and maybe even sooner than we expect, because I do think that even if the president, whether the president wins or loses, I think we're about to go into an era of, I call it the new 60s. I think like the 2020s are going to be a decade of change and revisiting fundamental things. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, all of us, you called it a collective, that all of us in the collective will be a part of trying to rethink things a little bit. Um, just tell me a little bit about um, your your new film, um, because it was also in another tumultuous period, you know, uh, the trial of Chicago 7. For people who don't know and don't remember that um, trial, will you refresh them and then tell me a little bit about what you learned in making that film, if, if anything? Yeah, sure. What's funny is this is a story about 1968, but when you watch it, it feels like you're watching something about today. Uh, and uh, the basic, what happened was uh, in 1968, the Democratic Party didn't nominate uh, an anti-war candidate um, because uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated right before he was able to be nominated. And a lot of young people were against the Vietnam War and they wanted to protest at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago that there should be, the Democratic Party should nominate an anti-war candidate, that the American people should be able to vote between two presidential candidates, one being supporting the war and one being for ending the war. So they came to protest in Chicago and uh, it ended in violence. And there was a lot of debate onto what was the source of that violence. Did the protesters cause the violence or did the police cause the violence? And um, in hindsight, historically, the evidence pretty solidly points to the fact that it was the police that started those riots. Um, but at the time, uh, the American government wanted to put eight prominent activists on trial for a conspiracy to start a riot. Uh, the reason the movie's called Chicago 7 is because some people disagreed that there should have been eight people on trial because the eighth person was the head of the Black Panthers, Bobby Seale, who had never even met the seven other men who were allegedly the conspirators. Um, and uh, they, they thought that the American government was putting Bobby Seale, sort of lumping him in with these other activists in order to paint a more dangerous looking picture and leverage the racism that is all too present today and, and certainly was then as well. Um, so this movie is a courtroom drama by sort of our time's master of courtroom dramas, Aaron Sorkin. Um, you know, if you've ever heard that line, you know, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Aaron Sorkin wrote those lines. 
And so this is this is a courtroom drama uh, about the trial of these alleged conspirators to start a riot in 1968, and uh, and what happened there uh, at those protests, and you know, was it a conspiracy? Was it the police? Um, and what is the American government doing, uh, trying to undermine? these activists' right to protest. And it's, uh, the trial was a disgrace. If you look back in history, the way the American government conducted them, uh, themselves, it was disgraceful. It was really went against what our country really stands for, what the United States of America is really all about. Um, freedom of speech, the right to, like I said, to address your government and petition for grievances, the right to a fair trial. It clearly wasn't a fair trial. Um, it, it got to the point where the, the American government was identifying jurors who were siding with the conspirators and, um, and intimidating those jurors and planting false notes from the Black Panthers that weren't really from the Black Panthers, uh, urging them to... Um, resigned from their seat on the jury. It got to the point where they gagged and bound Bobby Seale, the head of the Black Panthers, had a gag in his mouth and was tied to his chair in an American courtroom. That's not our country. That's not what our country is supposed to be about. This isn't that long ago. This is just a couple, this is my parents' generation when this was happening, where a man was bound and gagged in a courtroom and to put that image on screen and to say, this happened, this happens. Our government, as and, and as much as, I, and I consider myself a, a really deeply loving patriot who believes in the foundation of what our country is, but our government is not perfect. And our government can do some terrible things and has recently. And that's not unpatriotic to point that out. In fact, that's the greatest patriotism to point that out when you're an American. Because what it means to be patriotic in this country is to stand up and, and say it when our government is doing the wrong thing. That's what the founders of the country were all about. They were, they, their whole thing was, we don't wanna live in a monarchy. We don't wanna live under a king that, never said, that, that says, you can never say anything bad about the king, no matter what I do. That's, that's old. The new idea of, of the American Revolution was we're not going to have a king. We're going to have a government that's accountable to the people, where the, the, the elected officials are considered civil servants. They serve the people. And they built in all these mechanisms by which the people could say, hey, our government's not doing the right thing. We're going to elect someone else, or we're going to sue, or we're going to express ourselves through our right to free speech or freedom of the press or our right to protest. All of those things are built into our constitution because the founders of the United States of America knew that governments get corrupt. Governments always corrupt. Power is a corrupting thing. When people get power, people wanna keep that power and it corrupts them. That's what happens, it's human nature. And so that's what's so brilliant about the United States of America is that it's built into our constitution that we, the people are allowed to call our government on it and say, no, 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 you're being corrupt. You're just power hungry. You're not doing the right thing. We're going to change this. And 
the, and, and people in power don't always take that so well. <laughs> they, they'll send, they'll send the police to beat up protesters. They'll try to deny freedom of speech. They'll try to deny freedom of press. And this is what we saw in 1968. And sadly, we're seeing it again today. And that's why it's so important that this movie be out now. Joseph, I so appreciate your spirit. I can feel it in you. I, I can I can feel you there, and I can feel you in that moment. And I think it takes that level of passion and intensity to bring anything alive, whether it's the American experiment, whether it's the American dream, whether it's regeneration, whether it's it's reformation, whether it's fixing things. And and so I hope that that fire stays stays alive in you. Um, you know, you had some Henry Fonda in you. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, 12 Angry Men, but just now when you were talking, you had some Henry Fonda in you. You had some, uh, who's my boy? You had some Dustin Hoffman in, um, oh my goodness, what was that? What was that movie again about the divorce and uh, and uh, the parents? Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, you did. You had some Kramer versus yeah. Kramer in you. Yeah, you yeah. know what? You had. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's who do you look up to? Who are the who are the actors? I mean, for you, it's probably not even just looking up because you may have worked with them. But like, who did you look up to as you were developing your craft? And who do you now that you have had the opportunity to be in it now for, you know, 30 years? Like, who do you admire as a professional yourself? Yeah. um, well, you mentioned Dustin Hoffman. I like when I was twelve, I went through a Dustin Hoffman thing, or I just watched all of his movies. I've always been such a huge fan of his. Um, nowadays, I, you know, there's there's plenty of artists I admire. One one artist I admire so much is um, is Donald Glover in particular um, because he's such a brilliant actor, and also, you know, he's created Atlanta. I think is is one of the greatest, not just TV shows, but like whether you want to compare it to a show or a movie or whatever. I just think that's some of the greatest motion picture storytelling of that's going on right now. Um, and then he's also a great musician, and um, it, he just the way that he builds his career. I love that he's not on social media. <laughs> I really admire that. Um, and the just his career is really really inspiring to me. So he's he's a good example. Oh, I really love that. That's not what I expected you to hear, but that's not what I expected to hear, but I really love hearing you say it. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous (laughs) of your generation that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Surprise us. Make us a little smarter. What would we not know about uh, the craft of acting and acting at a high level as you do? Or or let me say it a little bit differently. If you were going back and you were going to tell young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, hey, here's what's going to surprise you while you're in the game. What are two or three things that are going to surprise him that really would make you kind of step back and kind of go, oh, you know, even though I've thought about this, even though I've wanted this, like I would not have known X or I would not have expected X. What would surprise people about what it means to be a high-level professional actor? That's cool, a cool question. Um, all right, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a, a probably a not sexy answer. Um, but if I were gonna talk to my younger self, one of the things I would say is, you know, what's gonna help you most is. Nothing you learn from all the great actors that that you've had the opportunity to work with, but actually something you just work you learned from from your dad, which is just a really strong work ethic that you don't give up and you keep doing it. And even when it sucks, and even when it's boring, and even when it's mundane, or even when it's disappointing, you keep doing it and you keep a positive attitude and you are good to people and you don't get frustrated with people and you show up on time and you're reliable and you do the things you say you're going to do. You're a grown up about this. It's not fun to hear that like, you know, being an artist doesn't sound like the job of a grown up. It sounds like you get to be a kid and play pretend all the time for a living. And, and there is some of that. That's true. But uh, the people I think who are really, really good at what they do and stay good at what they do are, are grownups about it and are all those things that, that apply to whatever professional avenue you're trying to go down. Artists are no exception. Be a professional, be a, be a, a solid grownup about what you're doing. Um, again, I, like I, I warned you, it's not sexy, you know, but you know, just follow your dreams and like follow your heart. But like, that's, that's not all that's important. You do, but the other stuff is is also important. Uh, well, I love that you're saying that because I think similarly about being an entrepreneur. I think people hear startup and they think we're just going to do wild, crazy stuff and anything will work. And 
as you know, I wish that that's the way it worked. I wish you could stay up to whatever hour and start whenever you want and whatever idea. And that's, as you know, it's not it's not even nearly that simple and it's not even nearly that sexy 90% of the time. And people have to really ask themselves. It's funny, someone was asking me the other day, you know, what advice would you give to potential entrepreneurs? I would say really ask yourself if you want to do it because you know about all the good stuff. But if you know about the whole thing, do you really want all of that, right? Because you're probably going to have to go through a lot of stuff before you get to the stuff that people usually tell you about. Um, and, uh, and and I would assume some of that may be true as a uh, as an actor and as an artist uh, as well. Yeah, for sure. Hey, um, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about on the show as well um, is love. Uh, what have you learned about love? Oh, man. What have I learned about love? That's that's a really good question. I'm 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 not used to talking about that in in a public forum. I mean, of course, when I first think of love, I, I think of you know the people I say I love you to all day every day, or you know my my family. Um, just f- for my own personal preference, I I like to keep that pretty private. Um, uh, but I do think that there's a there's a love that I think I've found, I don't hold on to it all the time, every day, but I try to um, be on my family and uh, for, for, you know, just people, for the whole, the whole enchilada, all of us. And I think I probably didn't have that when I was, I, my parents taught me that to, uh, to, a, to a degree for sure. But I don't know if I really felt it until I, moved out of my parents' house and was kind of living in, in the world, especially I moved to, I moved to New York city where you're on top of people a lot and you're just interacting with so many people. You just walk down the street and you're just around hundreds and hundreds of people all the time. Uh, and I feel like that love is, is so important to, to my happiness and my like drive to do things is if, if I didn't feel a certain amount of love for Kind of the human race as a whole. If I only had love for the few people close to me, I, you know, I might be throwing the middle finger up to the rest of the world and 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 be doing a lot of things pretty differently. Um, but but I do. I, I feel like I, I do have that love. And um, uh, like I said, it's it's not always easy to keep my eye on, but but I come back to it. I, uh, uh, I love hearing that if that, if that doesn't sound too, uh, uh, too cheesy uh, to say that. Very different topic for you, maybe, um, but I always thought you looked different, meaning you weren't visually, you weren't a carbon copy of a lot of other folks. And so you had kind of a very distinctive look mm-hmm. that I wondered whether that actually helped you in your career. Did you get typecast? Like, do A, do you agree that, that your look maybe wasn't as cookie cutter as some of the other looks? And B, if so, how did that impact your career? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe. I mean, um, I mean, I, I feel like in a way, yeah, um, perhaps that that helped. I mean, I, but I, I would probably argue, to be honest, and this goes back to a luck thing, like, while I might not look exactly like... Uh, what you're talking about, the kind of cookie cutter actor. I, I, I look close enough to where I think uh, probably it's helped me more than, let me put this another way. 
I wish that there were more movies with people that looked a lot more different than me. <laughs> and uh, and I feel like I look close enough to the like standard conventional what a movie actor is supposed to look like that that probably helped me in my career. And I wish that it didn't in a way. Uh, and um, I, I, I think we are moving into a, a world where and I'm not I'm not only talking about um, ethnic diversity, although I think that's incredibly important, but even even amongst different ethnicities, there are certain ideals of conventional beauty um, that regardless of ethnicity, people who conform to, whose faces conform to those ideas of beauty uh, tend to be on screen more. And maybe there's just something like audiences are always going to be drawn to, to those, those conventions. But, but I think, again, not to the younger generation, I think we're spreading out a lot. And, and if you look at, you know, what, what media people are consuming, there's less and less, uh, things are getting less and less narrow of like, oh, you have to be conventionally handsome or conventionally beautiful in order to uh, have an audience. <laughs> it still certainly exists. And there's unfortunately lots of emphasis put on conventional beauty on the internet. Um, but but there's also opportunities for uh, for people who who might look different, who might be beautiful in a different way, or um, who or whose appeal has nothing to do with their look. Um, there's there's more and more room for that, so I find that encouraging. Yeah, I I hope I hope you're right, and I hope that's where we uh, end up. Do you think, as a result of all the Black Lives Matter conversation, are you yourself hearing more? open and productive conversation around race and racial change in Hollywood? Yeah. Like, are you, is it actually starting to filter into conversations that you're a part of or not yet? For sure. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, it's, it's much more prevalent than it was and it should have been prevalent for all this time. And it was, I mean, I, I think it's, it, you know, even before the tragedies of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor the, the, and, and the recent round of protests, there were, you know, there have been more conversations, uh, you know, since what happened in Ferguson. There, you know, there have been more conversations as we've gone. Um, but I do think that, yes, I, I think this year, this sort of reckoning that's happening in our country uh, is is definitely being heard by Hollywood. Now, I also think that there's a certain amount of people acting out of like, for, for, I guess, appearances, like how it looks or optics or whatever you want to call it. Like, well, I have to make sure that I don't look racist or something, you know, and I don't know, maybe that's not a bad thing. Um, but, uh, there's, I think there's, and there, there's also a desire to try to like, fix the problem quickly when there's no real quick fix to this problem. And um, so, so it, I don't think it's as simple as like, Oh, let's, let's make sure that, you know, there are, you know, this percentage more people of color appearing in movies now than there were. I mean, I think that's good. That's a good step forward, but it's, it's not that simple. And I, I feel like sometimes the conversation gets reduced to that. Um, it's such a complicated briar patch of of issues that I, I think is so so complicated i don't i don't feel like qualified to unravel it or or feel like i could identify what the what the solution is or 
how to fix the problem if there is even one problem or is it a series of many, many problems? Or, but, um, but I do think that even though there are some uh, instances of people acting out of, you know, wanting to appear progressive or something, I think in general that the, the Hollywood industry has genuinely taken to heart what's, what's happening. And in general, again, this is a generalization, but in general, um, people genuinely want to try to help and, and, and be, be an agent of moving the country and the world in the right direction. Um, Joseph, I know we've got to go in a second. So if you don't mind, I'd love to do a 60 second rapid fire round. You mind if I hit you with two or three quick ones? Let's do it. What's your favorite movie that you've been in of all time? Ah, Looper. I don't know. Looper was amazing. Your favorite book? 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social and Media Accounts Right by Jaron Lanier. Ooh. Um, a country you've loved to visit that you haven't visited yet? Senegal. And if you went back to Columbia and picked back up your uh, studies, what course would you want to take? Chemistry. Surprise me. Hey, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I entered a fan. I exit a bigger fan. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you, man. Really, really good to talk to you, Carlos. Thanks. Be safe. Be well. Thanks again. All right. You too, man. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. Please leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.